7.30 on Thursday night. Um, okay, welcome back everybody. So uh, tonight we're going to, uh, I, I think we'll go with three different options tonight. Instead, we've been doing two lately, but I think we'll go with three. Um, so the three options are as follows. One was uh, from before uh, the world turned upside down uh, last week. So, uh, but I think like there's a certain perspective that maybe we have on, on this first Shaila now after the world turned upside down. The Shaila was as follows. I got the Shaila twice from two different, uh, two different people, um, and apparently the same story happened twice with different types of relationships. One person was that it was his brother-in-law. He was talking to his brother-in-law an hour before Yom Kippur, you know, as families do, wishing Gemar Chasimatov uh, and things of that nature. And the brother-in-law said, listen, I, I want to ask you for Mechila. He said, yeah, yeah, for sure, Mechila. He said, no, no, I, I really want to ask you for Mechila. Meaning, I, uh, you know, there was a time this year where I was kind of upset at you and disappointed in you. So I, I spoke a lot of Lashon Hara about you uh, behind your back. Like, really not nice things um, about you behind your back. And I feel terribly about it. And I'd like to ask for Mechila. So the guy was like a little stunned, you know, like he thought he had a great relationship with his brother-in-law, and he said, uh, oh, of co- uh, you know, an hour before Yom Kippur, he's like, oh, of course, I'm Ochel, yeah. And then for the next 25 hours, he could think of nothing else other than, like, why on earth is my brother-in-law speaking bad things about me behind my back? Like, what's, what's the guy's problem? Why is he... And he realized, it took him 25, 26 hours to realize that he absolutely was not Mochel, his brother-in-law. Uh, so he wants to know now, does he have an obligation to go back to his brother-in-law and say, by the way, remember when I told you, like, an hour before Yom Kippur, I was Mochel, you? I'm not. Try harder, you know? Uh, or can you just... Uh, uh, leave it be, even though he's really not Mochel, his brother-in-law. So that is Shaila number one. got it twice this year. Normally the Mechila Shailas I get are people who come over to me and say like, I know that I should be Mevater and Mochel or whatever, but the person didn't even ask and the person like, I just can't and they hurt my family and they, they hurt my grandmother and they, whatever, you know, like they, they you know, normally that's the, the issue that a person just, you know, because being Mochel people is hard. If it was easy, like it wouldn't be a big avoda, but it's, it's hard sometimes. When, uh, when someone really hurts you. So that was Shaila number one. Shaila number two, I got this morning, I got a, um, a voice note from someone who said, from a Rav, who said who just got, he just got a call from a Chayal who was, uh, uh, you know, called into service. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to me that, that some of the questions that you get from the Chayalim uh, you'd expect that they would be like these crazy questions and these uh, stories and this and that and it's like we just want to keep Torah mitzvahs like you know like uh, just like how do we do like basic you know uh, Rav Asher Weiss was telling us this morning we had a, a, a group of Rabbanim that had the Zuchus uh, to meet on a Zoom with Rav Asher Weiss uh, and he was telling us this morning that like when he gets Shilas from like Shabbat and the Mossad and whatever, like everyone thinks it's going to be like these cloak and dagger questions. But he's like, it's just it's Ilkha Shabbos. They just they just want to know like like uh, can they keep their phone on and Shabbos whatever you know. It's like it's it's not uh, so so. This is I guess this fits into that category. A Chayal wanted to know. He said he's generally very makbid that he wears tchelas in his tzitzis. And he holds, uh, you know, he follows the sack of uh, Rav Shechter that it's Baltigra to wear, if you have, you know, to wear uh, Lavan without Tcheles, and therefore he'd rather not wear Tzitzis, and normally he would, nor- he would rather not wear Tzitzis than to wear uh, just Lavan without Tcheles. But apparently the army issues, uh, army issued Tzitzis that have a particular, you know, green color or whatever. Um, so what a lot of people are discovering is they're donating gear to the army that uh, you can't just go and buy whatever you want and give it to the army. They're not really, uh, you know, people are like buying all sorts of, 
you know, equipment or what they think is equipment. You know, they go to their local sporting goods store and buy like, you know, fishing vests and uh, send it to the army. It's like, it's not going to stop a bullet, you know. So, uh, so you can't just uh, donate whatever, uh, whatever gear you want, but so they, you can't just wear whatever tzitzis you want. They have like the special army tzitzis. And they don't have tchelis option, which like we have to correct that, right? But, uh, but they, they don't have a tchelis option. So he wants to know if he should wear tzitzis or should he not wear tzitzis when they don't have the tchelis option. And if he should wear tzitzis, should he say a bracha? And if he's not married, so he doesn't wear a talis gadol. Uh, he only wears talis katan. And the uh, material that tzitzis is made of is a synthetic material. It's not, uh, it's not, it's not cotton or, uh, or wool or anything like that. It's a synthetic material. So do you say a bracha? If you're wearing tzitzis, maybe the synthetic material. So basically, tzitzis, uh, shayla. That was uh, shayla number two, and number three is not really a shayla. I just uh, we had this opportunity this morning to uh, to hear from Rav Asher Weiss about all the shaylas that he's getting. So uh, if you want me to do that for a half, you know, for 25 minutes, I can uh, go through uh, some of those or some of the questions that we asked uh, Rav Asher Weiss this morning. Um, you know that the Rabbanim were interested in hearing from Rav Asher Weiss what he uh, what he thought about a whole bunch of different uh, shaylas that were coming up. So those are three options. So again, option number one is the insincere mechila. Option number two is uh, uh, wearing army-issued uh, tzitzis. And option number three is just going through a collection of things that Rav Asher Weiss told us where I'll just parrot the different things that he said. Um, all those who would like option number one. Okay, some people, good. More people. Don't be embarrassed. Okay, all those who would like option number two. Option number three. We should get Rav Asher here. We should get him on the Zoom. Okay. Um, let's see. Let's see what the uh, what the Zoom chat said. Three, 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 three. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it was unanimous on the Zoom also. Okay, so I guess I'll just tell you what Rav Asher told us this morning. Um, good thing I took notes. You want to hear the stuff that he was telling us or the stuff that we asked him about? What do you think is more interesting? The stuff that the American Rabbanim wanted to know or the things that he was just saying that he was dealing with? What? <laughs> it's not a trick question. Not a, no, which one first? No? Alex, which one first? Either way. Both are good. Oh, come on, Alex. I should have known not to call on you. <laughs> yeah, no? What Ravasha was saying. Okay. So um, for, he started with a little bit of Ashkafa, but we told him we really didn't want to. I mean, not that we love his Ashkafa and we love hearing his Devray Ashkafa, but like we've heard it. And, like there, there, there's a lot out there already that he gave Divrei Chizik and this and that um, I know am I the only one that finds Divrei Chizik to be like the wrong term I don't know like I, I, I don't feel stronger you know I feel like no, I, feel, I, I, I just feel like very uh, broken but anyway Whatever. So, uh, so he, he so so we we asked him like try to keep it to uh, to halacha, um, and he was talking about uh, the different things. So he started with a little bit. We'll we'll, we'll skip the uh, the little bit of the chizik that he said. Um, he said most of the questions he's been getting uh, revolve around Shabbos, um, and he spoke about a uh, conservative right wing radio station asked if they can operate on Shabbos to keep morale up and keeping support going and you know because everything every little bit of morale is pikuach nefesh everything is uh, so he said he totally disagreed he said it's too far-fetched of pikuach nefesh attachment to say that my radio station needs to keep going because it makes a certain kind of uh, segment of society happy to hear this uh, you know the the, the, uh, the chizik that they're getting through this radio station and that that would be called uh, pikuach nefesh he said uh, he doesn't think that that's 
that that's uh, uh, you know you can't use everything as because you can't say everything is pikuach nefesh. It's not uh, it's not just like this uh, catch-all. You know I've uh, mentioned in the past that um, uh, sometimes people know the right phrase to use to get the answer they want. You know when they want an answer to uh, to a shaila. So uh, I've mentioned the mice in the past. Rav Willick told us that a woman called up her rabbi and she said she had an unexpected pregnancy. She wants to abort the fetus. And the rabbi said, I'll call her Salvation. So he called her Salvation. Her Salvation said, No way, just because it's an unexpected pregnancy. She's married, she's an old person, she has a family. Are you kidding me? No way. So it's Ritzichim. Salvation called her Ritzichim. So no way, you can't do that. So, um, uh, so, so the, the rabbi told the woman, the woman said, Tell Rabbi Salvation, I said that I'm going to commit suicide if I can't abort the, uh, the baby. So the rabbi called up her Salvation and he said, The woman said she's going to commit suicide if she can't abort the baby. So Salvation said, tell the woman, he didn't say tell the woman, he just responded to the rabbi. He said to the rabbi, the halacha will not be held hostage by a raving lunatic. Um, Meaning, he read right through it. She wasn't going to commit suicide. She knew the right words to say to be able to get the answer that she wanted to get. So you can't always, obviously, if there's a real suicide, it has to be taken very seriously. But it's 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 something that that you know everyone's going to say. Well, you know, it's uh, I, I I suffer from anxiety. Anxiety <coughs> means a lot of different things. People suffer from all sorts of different kinds of anxieties. I got a lot of phone calls today about people saying, "Well, I have a sibling that's in the IDF. Can I keep my phone on all Shabbos?" Why? Because I'm going to be anxious. I suffer terrible anxiety about the fact that my sibling's in the IDF. Not, not everyone who has a sibling in the IDF should keep their phone on. What are you going to do? They're going to call you and then what? And then, uh, you know, Adarab, Rav Shechter pointed out to me today, he said that um, probably better not, even if Loa Leinu, something happens, better not to know on Shabbos, better not to find out on Shabbos. That's always been the practice, no? That if someone, Rachman, the son of someone dies on Shabbos, you don't inform uh, someone on Shabbos Yantav to... Uh, now, someone actually came over to me this past Shemini uh, So um, I, I announced in shul. What happened was I was sitting, davening at the early minion. Our early minion is not so early. It's 7.45. Um, so, uh, so someone came over to me during Pesukah de Zimra, the 7.45 minion, and said, um, I remember I was saying Ashrei. He waited till I finished Ashrei. And he said, something terrible happened in Eretz Yisrael. I don't know any details yet, but it's bad. It's really, really bad. That's all I know. Um, so, you know, he just like sort of dropped that in my lap, you know, do with it what you want. So when I spoke after Shachris, I informed the seaboard that there was something going on in Eretz Yisrael. I gave a little bit of Eitzah in terms of what to focus on in davening, considering that Yomto davening doesn't really lend itself to, uh, you know, crying out and whatever. So I gave a few pointers of what to focus on in davening. And someone came over to me afterwards and said, why did you tell us? You shouldn't have told us that. And uh, I said, yeah, the reason I told you was because uh, you were going to know anyway. Meaning, it, when there's an individual tragedy, so the, the, the mahalich is that you try not to tell, and it's better not to tell. In this case, it was obvious it was going to be all over the news. I had a bris later that day. After davening, I walked, by the time I walked to the bris, it's all anyone was talking about on the streets. Meaning it was obvious that they were going to find out. But generally speaking, Rav Shefter pointed out that if you find out about, uh, about some terrible news, you don't share it on Shabbos. You don't, because uh, you're not supposed to share a person's Shabbos uh, for no reason. Um, the, uh, someone told me, the person who had asked me why I shared it, said that he remembers when his uh, grandmother passed away, she passed away on a Shabbos, and they asked Rabbi Kelmer Zatzal from West Hempstead 
it was a big tzaddik and a big tamal chacham. They asked Rabbi Kelmer if uh, they should tell the zevi, if they should tell the grandfather, the husband. So Rabbi Kelmer said, "Bishum panim vofen lo, you know, lo mitin aleph, no way, not till after Shabbos. You don't, you don't, you don't share that news in Shabbos." So Rabbi Shechter told us, told me today, that I think Yami Shechter in uh, Toronto had uh, some chayalim at his uh, at his house over Yamtiv. And they saw their phone was blowing up or something. I don't know what happened. They or they heard what was going on and they checked, and they found out that their their um, group was uh, the one that was completely wiped out uh, in this uh, in this attack. They have no comrades anymore. They have no one to. Uh, and uh, he said they should have. You know, it would have been much better for them not to find out in Shabbos Yamtiv. I mean, obviously now Shabbos Yamtiv was absolutely wrecked for them. They're going to suffer so much already as it is. Let them suffer after Shabbos Yamtiv. They have to suffer in Shabbos Yamtiv also. It reminded me, I was in uh, England recently, and I have a friend, Rabbi Nikki Liss, who's, uh, who went to, I went to Karen Biafna with. He was a year ahead of me in Yeshiva, but he stayed three years, so we were my entire time in Yeshiva, he was there. And uh, we lost touch over the years, but we reconnected um, when I was in England a couple of weeks ago. And he told me that he's very close with Rav Meisha Sturmbach from uh, the Haredes. And Rav Sturmbach grew up in England. So he, uh, he's not close growing up with Rav Sturmbach because Rav Sturmbach is 98 or something and uh, Nicholas is... I don't know, 47, um, but he got close with him when he was learning in Kolel in Harnof, and he used to go to his house all the time, so he said Rav Sturmbach once told him that uh, he was very, very close with Rav Elchanan, with Rav Elchanan Wasserman, um, that when Rav Elchanan came to England, um, Rav Sturmbach was a little kid, and he would follow Rav Elchanan around wherever he went, and uh, he had unbelievable stories about Rav Elchanan. And he said, like one time, he was describing Rabbi Khanan to, to my friend, and he just stopped and he said, "You could never understand what Rabbi Khanan was. It's a waste. You don't have the kalim. You don't have the capacity to comprehend who Rabbi Khanan was. So it's it's a waste for me to even describe him to you." He was describing Rabbi Khanan getting on the train to leave to go back to Eretz Yisrael. I mean, to go back to Europe rather to the burning inferno in Europe, knowing that he was heading to a certain death. Um, and uh, and and he said, you just don't, you can't understand Rav Khan. But anyway, one of the things he said was that Rav Sturmbach told him that he was with Rav Khanan when Rav Khan found out that the Chavetz Chaim died. That Chavetz Chaim was nifter, and there was they walked into a shul on Shabbos in England, and there was a, a petek, there was like a little notice or something that said, um, you know, Nafla Taras Roshenu, the Holy Chavetz Chaim, the saintly Chavetz Chaim uh, passed away, and Rav Khanan looked at it. And just continued on. His expression didn't change. He probably wasn't smiling because he never smiled, but he, he, his, his expression didn't change at all. He went on with Shabbos as regular. And then, as soon as Shabbos was over, he went into a room, closed the door, and all you could hear was sobbing and wailing and crying after Shabbos. Meaning that there is this union of not, uh, not, not, not sharing these things and knowing these things on Shabbos. So you don't always have to know these things on Shabbos. So anyway, back to what Rav Asher was saying. So Rav Asher said, he thought the radio station was not, uh, you can't call everything Pikoach uh, Nefesh. You can't, you know, it's not, it's not, it doesn't work that way. He said a young person was called up um, and he provides ammo to the units on the line and he wanted to know if he could drive home to be with his wife, meaning to go to, to bring the, the ammunition that he needed to bring. Fine. Can he drive home to be with his wife? His wife is panicking that he's going to be so far away on Shabbos. So he said, I have no problem with him driving to the base, but I can't easily permit him to drive home from the base. He lives in Beersheba. They have sirens still a few times a day. And, but we have to be very vigilant and careful about Shabbos. 
um, that you have to be. Uh, Shechter just told me this afternoon that um, that someone told him that Rav Salvechik had said uh, in 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 the context of one of the wars, maybe it was the Yom Kippur War. Someone wanted to know if they could leave their their television or their radio on all Shabbos so that they can get updates to see what was going on. And Rav Salvechik said, you know, Shabbos is Litorosecha, meaning your children are going to see what Shabbos was like in your house. And they're going to remember, all they're going to remember is that uh, the, the father watched television on Shabbos. That's all they're going to remember. You think that's, uh, that's not, it's not going to have an impact on Shabbos after the war? It's not Pikuach Nefesh to, to be able to see what's going on on the radio or in the television. Look, if you're under attack and you need to know, and, you, you know, and the sirens aren't helping or whatever reason, or you don't have a siren system, say in, in a chinami, but, uh, but it, it, you have to be careful about Shabbos. Uh, Rav Asher told us that he did give a heter to work to identify the dead on Shabbos and to run the DNA. Um, if you, uh, Rav Asher once took us a group of uh, of ten of us um, to the DNA lab where they identify bodies in the, uh, in the you know fallen uh, fallen soldiers. Um, what do you mean identify bodies? Just look, see who it is. No, unfortunately, very often the bodies are not identifiable through any way other than DNA. Um, you know, if, uh, you should never uh, ever have to see such things. But a body that's been blown up by a grenade, or that's been stabbed so many times, or things things like that. So very often, uh, you know, twenty bullet wounds or whatever. You know, it's very difficult to uh, to identify the bodies. So there is this place, very holy place, that uh, does the taros and the uh, and the preparation of the bodies for kavura. It was one of the most eerie and unbelievably inspiring places I've ever I've ever been to. So Rav took us there to just describe to us the Shilohs and what goes on. And DNA evidence is not like it is on TV, meaning it's not like, oh, the computer does it all, and boom, so it's obvious that it's like... like the, it's not an exact perfect uh, science in terms of determining these things all the time. Um, but anyway, so this person works in that place, and that's in Ramla. It's not in the south, and they're working around the clock. Um, so... Uh, so it's it's it, so Ravasha thought that they sh- should continue to work on Shabbos, and said not only because of mace mitzvah and kavada mace, but he said oh, that's mamish pikach nefesh because until you identify who's been killed, you're not going to know who's missing. And uh, unfortunately, there are many, many, many people missing, many people that are held captive, and we need to, we need to know who they are. And unless you only by process of elimination, by knowing who's been who's been killed, probably one of the scariest things I saw this week, one of the more frightening things I saw this week, was someone sent me a video. Try not to watch too many of these videos, but someone uh, said, you know, you need to see this one. Everyone you know, needs to see this one. So, uh, so <coughs> it was a father. English-speaking guy, uh, I don't know if he's from Ireland or something, and he said that uh, he got the call that they had identified the body of his daughter. And he said his immediate reaction was, yes! Because the other alternative was too frightening to think about. Meaning, at, given what was happening now, death was the best possibility. Um, that's, you know, let that sink in, that that's a father's reaction, that death was the best possibility. But there are people, unfortunately, in captivity, so Rav Asher thought that that was a Pikuach Nefesh situation. Rav Asher said that it was publicized in his name, something he was not happy about at all, that it was publicized in his name, that uh, as long as you're wearing an army uniform and you're a soldier, you could eat whatever food you want, and you don't have to worry about the kashras. 
um, because you need to be strong to fight and this and that. He said, that is not what I said, but that's the way the world works nowadays. You give a psak to one person about one thing and uh, it becomes like a fodder for media and for social media and for misunderstanding and all loss of nuance. He said, what happened was that, uh, th- that, that um, there was a, uh, a group of, uh, of, of, of soldiers who actually didn't have what to eat at the very beginning um, because the army, you know, increased in size from whatever it was to, you know, 300,000 new people coming in. Obviously, they didn't order food in advance, you know, for 300,000 people coming in. So they, they actually didn't have what to eat and there were people offering them food and they didn't know the level of kashras. So Vasha said he thought that in that situation they could eat because a, hun- a hungry soldier is not an effective soldier. And even now the army is concerned that there, there are terrorists around these towns. So even if they're not yet going into Gaza, but they need their strength in order to find, out, find all these terrorists and to fight if it, comes, if it comes to it. So they have to be at their best. Plus, he said 99% of the food in Israel has some sort of uh, kashos, you know, some low-level rabbinut kashos, something, that there's some level. Plus, whoever's giving food realizes that a good percent number of the soldiers are dati, and they're not going to want to give non-kosher food to a dati soldier. They're going to do their best to give, kosher, to give kosher food to a dati soldier. So given all of those factors, he thought that in that circumstance, it was perfectly fine. But then it went out on the, on the, on the media, the Rav Asha says, anyone wearing green is allowed to wear, is allowed to eat whatever they want, whenever they want. That's not, uh, that's not the case. Um, he, in fact, Rav Asha told us that... Uh, Stop sending, you know, if, you're, if, if your donations are going to paying for food for the army, um, you're wasting your money. He said, at this point, the soldiers are telling him that uh, if we eat everything that they're sending us, then we're going to be so fat that we're not going to be able to be effective soldiers at all. We're going to need to go on significant diets in order to be able to even function, to roll out of bed in the morning, because uh, thank God there's so much food that's uh, being offered. Rav Asher said that uh, by the time, he said by the time, you know, you're going, to, you're going to go send money to buy a sandwich for the soldier. By the time your sandwich gets to that soldier, he's already benched. You know, like, uh, it's not the most efficient way to, uh, to distribute, uh, distribute food. We have to, that, that's stomach schmooze. We have to be more thoughtful and calculated about how to make sure that our uh, that our money goes to the right place in a way that it's going to be most effective. It's not just oh, whoever WhatsApps me next is going to be the you know where I'm going to donate uh, ten thousand dollars. It should it shouldn't uh, it shouldn't be that way. That's often the way, by the way, people give tzedakah. It's not the way we ought to give tzedakah. A lot of times, it's whoever grabs my attention. It's like I'm looking at that, and someone says, "Hey, I need money." Oh, you do? Okay, you know, like without any thought, and that shouldn't be uh, that shouldn't be the way we give tzedakah. It should be a little more a little more thoughtful. Um, even though, obviously, Benani presents himself, there is a mitzvah darais in the Torah that, yeah, you should respond, but uh, when, we're, when we're calculating where to send things, uh, it should be a little more uh, thoughtful. Uh, he said one of the more painful questions is the many soldiers who are concerned about their wives, and they don't want to leave their wives in Aguna, so they want to give a get al tanai, um, or to be mimana shliach if they go MIA, to, uh, to, to, to give a get to their wives so that their wives not be this is what they're thinking about as they're going out so a get al tanai he said is off the table Postcom say it can't even be considered uh, it was common in the Mishnah and the Gemara but it's been abolished in the Rishon we don't do it anymore uh, so Rav Asher said in Tshuvas Min Chasasher in Chelek Aleph um, there is a tshuva about a soldier who called his Rav on the phone in the middle of a major and dangerous operation to make him a shaliach over the phone and Rav Asher wrote a tshuva about it, and he said that you need to take into account that 
it's one thing if someone calls a middle, you know, one soldier calls the middle of some sort of operation. It's another thing to tell all of the soldiers are about uh, you know, to this mulchama uh, that uh, that they're going to be kosev get the ishto. He said that that would have catastrophic <coughs> consequences. First of all, uh, the 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 dinim of gitten would probably not. It would be untenable to to keep all the dinim properly to be meman of the shliach and meman of the edim, meman of the sofer, meman of the edim. You're not going to. It's not going to happen. Plus, the army says that it will totally affect the morale. Uh, that it's, uh, it, will, it will destroy the morale of the soldiers. Adaraba, they need to feel like they're coming home. They don't need to feel like they're not coming home. How did it not affect the morale of the Kaliyotzim, you know, the Melchama um, in the, in the Malchus based David? Uh, okay, I don't know, but that was then. You know, uh, we know that it will totally affect the morale, and they have to believe they're coming home. So Vasha said what he often says is that a lot of time, a lot of times when people ask for. Uh, guidance or for a psak on something, he said, I can't give a psak. So instead, I give a bracha. You know, that uh, he said, uh, uh, people say, you know, they ask for a psak that they can give a get to their wife. I give a bracha that they should come back healthy and that they should have many decades of nachas together with their wives. And that. And he said, you know, I'm a very chash of a rav. My brachas uh, often come true. So uh, he said, and then, then uh, <laughs> you can imagine him saying that. And then uh, he said, as soon as, uh, as, soon as they, they, the person leaves after he gives them a bracha, he turns to Shemaim and he, he looks up and he says, Rebono Shalom, Lo Sisi. I didn't say that for my own covet. I said that for your covet, that, uh, that they, should, uh, they should come back. That, uh, so I gave these brachas for your covet, not mine. So I say, Leman Kvodcha Hashem, to bring them all safely home. And uh, he says, my brachas usually work. And uh, he says, he davens that these brachas will work. That it shouldn't be, uh, it shouldn't be a chil, a chil Hashem. Sometimes that's what you have to do. Also, I mean, sometimes it's not about an answer; it's about just uh, giving encouragement and giving the proper chizuk. So those are some of the things that uh, that Rav Asher said he's been dealing with. I'll tell you one or two of the questions that we asked him. I do want to catch the eight oh five marif, so we're going to end promptly at eight o'clock. But uh, I'll tell you one of the, one or two of the things that we we asked him. Um, I asked Rav Asher if uh, he thinks there should be an Isra Tashma Shamita during uh, Shas Mulchama um, because, I, because people ask me, several people ask me. So first of all, just like to take a moment to recognize how amazing Kal Yisrael is, that people are like, they're literally willing to change the way they live their lives in a very real way, um, you know, because they're feeling the tzara. And you know, young couples, young kolo guys, asking such shaylas if there's an issue of tashma shamita. Um, so Rav Asher said, I never really delved into that sugya so much. It's not really a sugya. The Gemara doesn't say. The Gemara says that during years of famine, it shouldn't be mashamish mitaso. We learn from Yosef that he had his children before the years of famine, right? So that you know, you're not supposed to be mashamish mitaso during years of famine. That's what the Gemara says. Uh, the Gemara does not say um, not to have Tashramita during a Shas Muhammad, but one could extrapolate that if, uh, if that, then that, right? Uh, that a person has to be nichnas into the Tsar of, uh, of Klal Yisrael. So Ravash said, I never really delved into the Sugya, but he said, I- I'm not afraid to paskin, it's mutter. Uh, he said, especially if they have not yet been Mekayim Puruvu. Um, Rav Shachter said, if they have not been Mekayim Puruvu, it's mutter also. Um, now, Rav Asher 
added a, a, a level of nuance. Uh, and he said that when Chazal decreed this halacha, if in fact they did decree such halacha, is because it was inappropriate to have a good time when everybody else is sad. And we're all concerned and feel the pain, but it's not like in days of yore where everybody is afraid for their lives. Uh, on, the, on the other hand, especially Yoshua Eretz Yisrael, the idea of Tash it's he said, especially in times of war, it's not really about having fun. It's about calming tensions and, and giving a sense of warmth. And he said, many, many, many people are terrified by the sounds of the sirens and just having that sense of closeness, that sense of warmth uh, would be, uh, is, is often very helpful to people. Um, I asked him about modifying behaviors otherwise, meaning, uh, you know, uh, simchas and things like that. And he said that uh, don't postpone a bar mitzvah. Jewish life has to go on. Definitely don't postpone a wedding. He said, but if you're making a bar mitzvah party, there shouldn't be a band. There shouldn't be music. A wedding has to have music. Ramah quotes in the Maril that ain't some chaschasim akala below Klei Zemer. Rav Shechter told me the same thing also. He said that he thinks, he said a bar mitzvah, I don't know why your bar mitzvah ever had to have music in the first place. He said uh, that his bar mitzvah, um, they, uh, his father made a nice kiddush. He said it wasn't even such a nice kiddush. And, uh, and there were a lot of drushas that were, uh, that were given. Everyone said a drusha, but <laughs> there's, no, uh, there's no music. But uh, okay, but uh, I think Rav Torsky's grandson's having a bar mitzvah and they canceled the music. So that's the... Um, you know that, that sort of usher said the same. Uh, chasna, you, you you have to move on with the chasna, and you have to have you have to have with music and 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 everything. But uh, but there should be some adjustment. You know, I, I started telling people, you know, don't go out to restaurants, to fancy restaurants for dinners. And then I thought, oh boy, if I'm going to say this publicly, then I'm going to get restaurant owners calling me. And uh, so I, I, when I sent an email to my show, I said, don't go out to fancy restaurants. But if you don't want to cook, you could order in. <laughs> you know, like I, I got to make sure that the restaurant owners are taken care of also. Um, but uh, you know, but but uh, you know, you have to think of <laughs> think of everybody. Um, but those are some of the uh, some of the questions. Okay, we have a bunch more questions that we asked him, but uh, we're going to stop here. Uh, we should see Yeshua's Bezrashem for all of Claudius very, very soon.